But I, I want to look tonight, I will start this, uh, uh, continue in this reflections on the uh, meditation practice and uh, all that uh, accompanies that. Uh, this is a, I mean, I, I think of this particular sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, as just an absolutely brilliant teaching. Um, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've certainly been working with it for 25, almost 30 years now, and uh, still uncovering, uh, you know, subtle things that he's getting at, and, and uh, the significance of the experience that he's pointing us to. So, I mean, it starts with suffering. All of the teaching starts with suffering, and we often hear it said that that's what the Buddha taught, and, uh, and uh, suffering and the end of suffering. And so given that, you know, it stands to reason that um, he's going to put forth um, a technology, if you will, a methodology for uh, affecting that. How do, we, how do we actually get free of suffering? And so we find this. This is what the Four Foundations of Mindfulness is all about. Uh, I, I like the way he uh, outlines it in the beginning, the first paragraph of the sutta, which we didn't have in the uh, source book. But, I mean, it's, it, it's a real zinger. You know, he, he says, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of nibbana, namely these four foundations of mindfulness. You know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I think I'll have some of that. <laughs> I like the sound of that. And, and, and so, uh, you know, he's putting forth a, a, a way, a methodology. But one of the things that's uh, occurred to me over the years of working with this is that there's, there's a, another way to look at the sutta, which is that, um, yes, it is a how-to. Follow the directions, do what he says. But in a, it, 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 I really invite you and encourage you to also read it as if it's a description. You know, that this is, this is what it's like to actually be fully present. When I'm breathing, I know I'm breathing. When I'm walking, I know I'm walking. You know, no matter what I'm doing throughout the day, I know that, I'm aware of that, you know. So he's actually, in, in some ways, pointing to uh, the end product, <laughs> the outcome uh, of practice. Uh, and I find that just really helps me to lose, because you can, we're so outcome and oriented, uh, oriented, as we were saying today, and goal-oriented, that um, we tend to glom onto things as techniques. You know, this is what I need to do, this is the how-to. And, and for very individualized beings, I think we're, we're very compliant, very willing to follow the rules and do, you know, do, the, do what he's instructing us to do. And yet, I'm just kind of encouraging a way of holding that a little bit more loosely. <laughs> it is that. It's also a lot more. You know, because if we get too stuck in that, then you can engage this whole... Uh, achievement orientation and then you get the, the set up for smacking yourself around when you can't do it, you know. Uh, and so just to, to consider holding it in that way as well. And so what we get here is a, is a very um, simple and a very sophisticated approach. And the Buddha is encouraging us throughout the sutta to become aware of the most intimate aspects of our experience as human beings, the body, feeling, and the mind to become aware of those, direct awareness to that, and to try our level best through the months and years of practice to leave it at that. To let the knowing awareness of the experience at that level uh, be uh, what is. You know, just to to settle into that simple experience. And and I don't know, this can sound very obvious and and, uh, simple to do. Maybe it is, you know, but I think we can um, miss the significance and the subtlety of, of what he's getting at here, because in the in the unawakened state, when we're still caught up uh, so much, um, we, we're actually not uh, observing, not knowing things in that way. We're completely caught up in what's happening in the body, at the feeling level, and and in the mind, and we aren't tuned in to the direct experience of it. So, um, you know, what that, what that affects, basically, is, um, you know, the mind is constantly taking the simple reality of sensation, 
feeling, thought, and then in a flash, building a more complex world around that simple moment of contact, and, um, and then moving into that more complex world. And you can feel it happen, you can, you can watch it, you can feel it happen. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a very painful um, transition that the unawakened mind keeps making. You know, Ajahn Sumedho says that ignorance complicates everything. <laughs> you know, you just keep complicating it, it's, it's simple. Be with the simple reality of sensation, feeling, and thought. And it's either that or, you know, I mean, my, my, one of my preferred states is just kind of la-la land, you know, it's just, just dreaming, <laughs> you know, just lost and um, drifting and dreaming and throughout the day, not just on the meditation cushion. Uh, but, you know, kind of dwelling in a, in a world that either has no knowledge of what's actually happening or is just um, a world of its own creation and moving into that, dwelling in that. I mean, it, it, is it like that for you? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, I'm looking at these faces. What is she talking about? <laughs> It, it, it gets pretty crazy, doesn't it? And, and I think to make matters worse, really, in the unawakened state, um, we, we don't see that that's happening. You know, the identification is so utter and so complete that um, it, the, the world that we're, it's, the mind is creating is the real world to us, you know? And, and, that's, and that's where we're dwelling. And, and certainly, if, if, if we don't see that, that we're doing it, uh, we don't see how we're doing it. <laughs> that the, the possibility of sort of deconstructing that whole thing, which happens through the meditation practice, you know, that's outside the realm of, of possibilities. And, and further, I think this is the biggie, getting back to the suffering, is we don't see that that's the suffering. The suffering is, is just that level of, of delusion. You know, there's so some major delusion going on here. Uh, and, and the mind is not um, aware of it. it it's just, uh, uh, we're living in a fabricated world. And so the, the practice of the, the four foundation uh, of mindfulness, it, it addresses this head on. You know, this is what I love about the Buddha. I mean, he doesn't mess around. He just go, goes right to it. Just, just play, pay attention. See, well, see if you can see the discrete aspects of experience and uh, develop the capacity to um, be with uh, experience at that level so that there's, the, there's, the, there's it and there's the knowing of it, there's it and there's the knowing of it, and that's it. And, and, and find out for ourselves if that's a more attractive state. I mean, that's, that's the encouragement with this. So, you know, the, the, the whole uh, sutta is helping us to unpack our moment-to-moment experience and break it down in this way into it, its discrete parts. And I don't know about you, but I mean, until meditation, um, it was just all a muddle. <laughs> you know, you, 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 couldn't, uh, you couldn't really discern um, discrete aspects of experiences. There, there'd be a contact, there'd be a feeling, and a, a world being created about it, and, and that's, that was it. <laughs> that, that's where you live. Somebody barks at you, you, you don't like it, you go bonkers, and really, really think that there's um, something that needs to be done about it, and that you've been wronged, and all of that. You know, I mean, that's just one example, but, um, you know, we see it over and over and over again uh, throughout the course of our, of our lives. So he, what he does is just say, okay, let's get, let's get down to it. And he looks at these, um, the, the first three foundations of mindfulness are uh, a way of getting familiar with um, these um, discrete aspects of our experience, body, feeling, and, and mind, or thought, if you want to say it. So I just want to walk through these and, and offer um, a little bit of reflection um, on the whole process at the end. So with the body, um, what's going on in this part of the sutta, he, he says to watch what goes on with the body, be aware of it, and there's just a whole lot of goodies in this uh, first section, the mindfulness of the body. Uh, a lot of different approaches that will help us to, to get uh, more settled and to get uh, more aware. So like the, the first section with the uh, mindfulness of the breathing, mindfulness of the in and out breath, 
this is a largely an approach that it, it can be a profound avenue for insight in and of itself. But also, it's a, it, most of us, I think, use it primarily as a way to settle. <laughs> just just uh, settle down. Uh, you know, the mind is all over the place. Just b- b- gather it together, focus on the breathing, and see the effect that that has uh, so that the, the, the system can relax. I mean, sometimes I actually feel it very physically, you know, especially if it's in the formal practice. It's like, uh, it's like that feeling we were talking about when you round the corner into Lockwood Road coming down to the study center. Uh, you know, something, something lets go and we begin to settle just through this awareness of, of the breathing. And then there's a, he goes on to uh, um, outline approaches that help us to just relax the whole body, you know, paying attention to the different um, uh, aspects of the body, the, you know, from the head down to the toes, you know, as, uh, as Goenka says, just to, uh, and noticing how um, in that process, how um, just turning the attention to uh, physicality has the effect of um, settling. <laughs> You know, it, it just brings a lot of softness and settling into the system. This is good. This is knowledge we need, because it's that, especially with the breath. I think it, it's it, it, the mindfulness of the in and out breath and the uh, calming effect that that has is one of those tools that we use as meditators many times a day. You know, you could feel yourself getting stirred up. And <coughs> take a deep breath. Just relax. Take a long inhale, long exhale, and just relax. And and all of a sudden, um, the the, you know the tizzy uh, can be cut through, and we're back. We're right here. It's a it's such a a simple method and useful uh, tool to have in our tool belt. And then there's a it keeps getting he keeps up in the ante. You know he keeps getting more and more interested and interesting. So next he goes into this uh, whole section on um, being aware of the body as it changes postures, being aware of it in the four postures, and being aware, like being in your body through the activities throughout the day. I mean, this is really practical stuff. It's it's, uh, nothing if not practical. Um, Just as a simple technology, just try to be embodied in that way. But, you know, I think as you work with it through the years, you really get to see that what he's, he's getting at, he keeps coming in the back door with insight, you know. Basically, um, walk around, like be aware of your body as it changes postures. Try to be in the body as it's walking, and, and certainly as it changes postures throughout the day. And you, you can't do that with any level of mindfulness and not see that uh, the, the, the truth of non-self. You know, it, it's, 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 it lays itself right at your feet. It's like, wait a minute, who's doing this? You know, <laughs> how is this happening? Or, or, or see the, the fidgetiness as a, sort of a, a, a restlessness, that how, why we keep changing postures. It's like, well, that, that enterprise really is one of the main ways that we um, fail to see the truth of dukkha. Because we keep fidgeting and fussing without taking in why, what happened that caused us to fidget and fuss, you know? And so if you can just be in it and stop the fidgeting and fussing, then you start to go, oh wow, you know, this body is constantly hurting and I keep moving to, to, to adjust it, to, to get to a, a more comfortable position. I mean, it's fascinating. You know, I, I think there's, there's these treasures hidden uh, in these um, uh, simple instructions. I mean, just that one. I was, I was watching one morning last week, and um, uh, I'm just going around the kitchen. I'd gotten up, had a pee, did my morning wash, and was making the coffee and putting some toast in the toaster, you know? 
and that the experience was, um, as, as we often drop into now and then, it was just, this, this is happening. <laughs> there, there, there's a knowing of it, but it's, it's happening. I, it do, I don't, all the stuff that one used to do with the plans and the ideas, and I've got to, I've got to know what I'm going to have for breakfast, I've got to think it through, I've got to argue and debate about what I need. You know, none of that, you, you can drop into periods where none of that happens. And yet, you're still making it perfectly, you're still functioning perfectly well, right? So what, what, what what's that? <laughs> You know, you get to observe through these kinds of simple instructions uh, the, the truth of non-self. You can, see, you can see it very directly. If and when you happen to nail this uh, uh, sense of uh, no, just uh, not being caught in it, not creating a world around it, not creating a story around it. When I'm brushing my teeth, I'm brushing my teeth. I know I'm brushing my teeth when I'm fixing a meal, there's a knowing of that. There's not all the, the chatter and the ideas and the, uh, going on about that. Um, it can be seen as superfluous. It's just a tag, it's just an add-on. You can do it or not. It's not I'm not saying don't think about it, but uh, you just start to get a different perspective on all that stuff. <laughs> you know, which, which heretofore was our world, right? Yeah, it's just, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't know about all this. So this, I mean, and then there's these other sections in there about um, the, um, what, how did Andy call it, objective uh, observation of the body, body parts, uh, and the uh, charnel ground meditations, and these are a slight departure from the other things that are in this first section, in that they're inviting a kind of reflection on the body. You know, they're not um, necessarily a, an effort to uh, experience uh, direct awareness. It's more like a um, analyze it, contemplate it, reflect upon the nature of it. Uh, and that can be very, very helpful too. But I tell you, the one that doesn't get enough airtime for me is the mindfulness uh, of the body as the four elements. And to me, this is a, a great one to pick up, if you haven't uh, yet. I, I think what he's getting at here uh, is perhaps the, the, potentially the most uh, liberating aspect of this section of the sutta. You know, I was talking to somebody a while back who, um, he said, I don't get this mindfulness of the body as the four elements, you know, I don't see the point. <laughs> And never could never really um, connect with it, and you know. But uh, we, we so we talked about it and, and really tried to uh, uh, realize that the, the point of this is that uh, um, we're almost completely in our heads about the body. You know, that's standard operating procedure. Uh, you know, just really uh, being preoccupied with what's going on and creating all kinds of, of stories about it. So that, for example, if you have a, maybe a little pressure in the head, uh, then, I mean, how many times have you had the experience like within a finger snap, you know, it, the mind is going on about, uh, I'm dying, or, you know, you see the ambulance coming up and getting you, or something like this, you know, the, the, the anxieties around things that are going on with the body can kick in really quickly, especially as we, as we get older. And yet, uh, what the Buddha is pointing to here is that to the extent that we can be aware of sensation as the play of earth, air, fire, and water. That's that's really what it comes down to. It's not more than that, it's not less than that. Um, And that uh, in the observing of this, one begins to see through the months and years of practice, it, it starts to penetrate that the, the, a lot of the going on around sensation is wanting these elements to be some way other than the way that they are. You know, they're, they're rarely, if ever, in a state of balance. You know, did you ever notice that? Like one, every now and then, you're not too hot, you're not too cold, it's not too hard, it's not too soft, you know, it's not too dry, it's not too wet. 
because I call it the Goldilocks effect, you know, everything's just right, just, but, but really, how often, <laughs> how often is that the case, you know, uh, and, and so uh, tuning into the body as these um, four elements in various states of balance and imbalance um, can be um, a, a major vehicle for insight. That's the way physicality is. And, and the Buddha says it's the same here as out there. You know, it, it's, you know it, it's just, we would all love it to be sunny and bright all of the time. We would love it if the, the body doesn't hurt, you know. But it's just not the way it is. Yeah, so he's, that's what he's trying to get us there, to the, to the way it is, and leave it at that. And um, it, it, you find, um, you know, you can bear it. Not only can you bear it, but we are bearing it. And the, the reactivity, the creating a reaction to all of um, the, the play of the elements is a suffering state. You know, just breathe and relax. And yeah, yeah, I'd like it to be sunny, but it's not. I can bear the cold, you know, that kind of thing. Just getting our, our, ourselves um, in this state of, of, of more uh, increased awareness about the nature of the body and the nature of sensation. And I don't know about you, but I love this. I mean, this has been a very, very rich uh, area of practice for me uh, personally, you know. And because and I think what, what we come to then, and again, ever practical, the Buddha is ever practical, that we, uh, we become better stewards for the body. Because if, you, if we get it that it's constantly changing and in various states of balance and imbalance, then when, you know, you're burning up with fever or, uh, you know, extremely cold or something like that, and, the, and you know it and the mind doesn't go on about it, then you take care. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's like, it, it becomes more like, Poor baby, you know, oh, what can I do, you know, you're, you're burning up, oh, let, let's you know, take care. Whereas if, if it's not like that, then uh, we can very easily get into these uh, irritated states. It's like we're burdened by the states that the body gets into. And, and, and you can feel it, it's like it, it's a battleground. <laughs> You know, actually at odds with the, the way that my body is. You know, just that there's a heaviness in the head. How are you going to be with that? And so, you know, offsetting this tendency of the unawakened mind to go into aversion around sensations that are unpleasant and just to be with them. This is normal. This is the way it is with the body. But more importantly, I think, it just helps us to connect with physicality. And that alone has a very calming effect. You know, the, the body, being with the body is very, very grounding. I mean, it's kind of a frontier for me. I don't know about you, but I, don't, I, I, I know that because of experience, but it's not the dominant thing yet in my own practice. You know, but just really trying to strengthen that knowing and that presence of mind to, to be in the body and feel the grounding effect that that has. And, of course, it has the um, potential to conduce to a great amount of insight. Just to be able to tune in to the body as it is, one will, can't, you can't help but see that how it's constantly changing how uh, the sensations are constantly moving uh, and changing from one moment to the next, and, and how some of it is unpleasant and some of it's pleasant, and how if I'm challenging that, if I'm at odds with that, I'm suffering. It's, it's all right there, you know. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, the major uh, insights of insight practice can be seen just by tuning in to uh, mindfulness of, of the body as the four elements. So this, I don't know, this, this, this may not sound like much, <laughs> but, uh, 
but it, it's huge. Uh, just being relaxed and accepting around the sensation can really serve to bring a lot of peace into our lives. You know, I remember one time doing, doing a retreat with one of the nuns, and one of my favorite nuns, and she was, um, it was a very hot time. I don't know if I told you this story or not, but it was very, very hot. Um, it was that summer in, in England and in France, uh, about five years ago or so, where people were dying of heat stroke. And so here we are in August doing a, a 10-day retreat at Amravati in, in this unbelievable heat. I mean, it was the first time I got really scared when, when I got so hot that I started to um, feel like I was going to black out and just went and stood in a cold shower, you know, to, just to bring the body temperature down. But this nun, and, and she's, you know, she's got like three layers of robes on, you know, to our little shorts and... and uh, uh, t-shirts, you know, and I, the whole time I just never heard her complain, and I was, I was so impressed by it, I thought, you know, because in my mind it's like, oh, it's hot, ah, get me out of here, you know, uh, you know, or, or on top of that, we were meditating in the forest to get cool, and the forest was infested with fleas, you know, <laughs> and everybody was covered with flea bites, you know, so it just keep getting, going from bad to worse. And, and so I asked uh, Ajahn, I said, well, you know, what, how are you doing this, you know? And uh, she said, it really, um, part of it is there, it's not like it's a training rule, but it's, uh, it, it's something that's encouraged, is that you work with the um, mindfulness of the four elements, and uh, you pick up a practice of not commenting not commenting about it. And I, I want to be clear, because that's not what the Buddha is saying. Certainly you can comment about it. Most of us do. But um, this is an interesting practice to pick up for a period of time. But just rather to turn the attention around and uh, inhale, you know, receive it, uh, let it be what it is, and, and watch any states that might come up about it rise and pass away. And see how that diffuses that tendency, you know. So uh, I pass that on to you. So it's a very effective way of working with the uh, the body. <coughs> so then uh, we come to feeling mindfulness of feeling, and um, this one, you know, we talk about this a lot, and but it's one really one of the keys to, to liberation. It's one of the key teachings. Uh, and so it's in a lot of different teachings. And here, in particular, uh, what the Buddha is encouraging us to do is to become aware of pleasure, pain, and neither. And as you know very well, that um, this is done with the intention or the purpose of cutting off the highly conditioned tendencies uh, of greed, hatred, and delusion that arise on the heels of this. You know, in a, in a finger snap, this is the movement of the unawakened mind, to grab pleasure, to push away pain, and to kind of check out around uh, things that don't have much charge to them. Uh, And so he's encouraging us to to see this. And um, part of practice is actually being attuned to that impulse. Uh, And granted, it's highly conditioned. Uh, some teachers say it's very difficult to isolate the feeling tone from the greed, hatred, and delusion that follow. Uh, but I've seen, I mean, I've seen it. I, mean, I think it can be done. Some people have a, particularly have a propensity for feeling. You know, you're very attuned to this parade of pleasure, pain, and neither, and able to uh, isolate that. So just to encourage us to do that, um, uh, and. Uh, recognize, see that highly conditioned tendency to see that point where uh, the feeling becomes the other, you know, the the grabbing. Um, and I, I think, given the highly conditioned nature of that, it's a really unreasonable to expect that we're not going to do that, <laughs> you know, especially at this stage, you know, uh, in our practice, perhaps. Uh, sometimes you, you nail it, and, and uh, just being able to see feeling short circuits that whole process 
But, um, you know, generally speaking, it, it doesn't. I remember one time on a retreat, um, I just, my mind went right there uh, on one of the first days of the retreat and just seemed to be hanging out in that zone um, for a period of days, just watching contact and feeling and this begin to happen. Contact, feeling, and this begin to happen, you know? Uh, and and um, it was very, it was fascinating because I could see there was a pleasant feeling and watch the storm. It's like, it was like this whole world would start to be created, you know? And then I would see it and then that would come tumbling down and then the next impulse would happen and this whole world got created and then I would see it and that would come tumbling down. And uh, the, the idea was, and you know, just sat watching how quickly it would all happen and, and, and sometimes the, the pull would be so great that uh, you have that moment where you just fall asleep. You just go with it, you know. Sometimes you can stay with it and prevent it. Sometimes it's like ten minutes later <laughs> and you go, <laughs> where was I? You know, and, and you, you become aware after you've snapped out of it. And, um, and, and this went on for days, just watching it. You know, and if I became aware that I snapped out of it, then I have to regroup. Okay, 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 what am I doing? Okay, let me, and start again, get settled. Uh, and, and try to uh, see it in this way again. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you can sustain this and sometimes you can't. You know, sometimes the mind just keeps getting lost in it. You know, and we don't see it happen. It's like falling asleep, isn't it? You don't see it happen. You, you, come, up, you come in on it after you, the mind, for one reason or another, has dropped it. <laughs> Or, and one of those reasons is the spontaneous <coughs> arising of mindfulness. You know, so that's nice. But sometimes it just gets bored with it. <laughs> yeah, it's enough with that one. Let's, let's see what else we can do. <laughs> you know. but, but anyway, so um, the, the, the point being here that if it's going like this, if this is how it is in our practice, it's good. The practice is going well. It's, this, is the way it, this is the way it goes. You see it, you don't see it, you grab, you let go, you regroup. You see it, you don't see it, <laughs> you let go, you grab, you regroup, right? It's, it's just, a, it's that process. And, but, but to know that uh, a lot is going on in that. A whole lot is going on in that. At, at very subtle levels, um, the mind is getting it that it's painful to be lost. It's painful to grab hold of pleasure, pain, and neither. You know, it, it, it's painful to become preoccupied in this way. And, and little by little, um, it uh, relinquishes that tendency. I mean, don't you find this happening over the years of practice? It, it, it's, it gets softer. Uh, it, it's, it, it lets go gradually over time. And we're actually seeing, um, uh, we're at, at this point then, what, what's actually happening is that you, you, you use feeling to let go of grabbing hold of feeling. It's fascinating. But it's like, if, if it is unpleasant to keep grabbing, then that um, unpleasantness registers in the mind and we stop uh, doing it. So I love that because it's, it's part of recognizing that um, the system itself is designed for freedom. It's just a case of knowing how to use it or turning it in the direction of, of freedom. Uh, and, and yet, uh, in the unawakened state, it's like completely preoccupied with self-gratification. <laughs> yeah, it's just caught, caught up in that. So, so mindfulness of uh, 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 feeling just really helps us to see uh, all this fuss about uh, pleasure, pain, and neither. And, and slowly, gradually, just unlink the, this, this movement of the mind, um, pleasant feeling and having to have it, 
unpleasant feeling and having to get away from it. Neither pleasure nor pain and having to check out. You know, that these, uh, before you meditate, these are one event. You know, and as we meditate, these get seen as discrete moments and they can get unlinked. And, and, and then it's very possible to find things pleasant and not have to have them. You know, which I don't know about you, but with my greedy mind, that was news to me. <laughs> you know, it, it just it goes that way like a, in a finger snap. Or finding things unpleasant and having to get rid of them. And finding things neither and, and wanting to check out. There's always that great story of Ajahn Sumedho. Some of you may have heard this, but he was, uh, when he was a young monk, he loves to tell this story. But um, he was uh, really a junior monk, probably only about 35 years old or so. And uh, one day Ajahn Chah um, announced to the, to the uh, Sangha that there was going to be a busload of uh, nurses coming to the uh, monastery, and he was going to be giving them a teaching, and he wanted the whole Sangha to be present. So, and I don't know if you've ever seen the monasteries, but they, they're, they're uh, seating places for their monks outlines the, the whole hall. And, and so, uh, you know, Ajahn Sumedho is a heterosexual male in his prime and, uh, <laughs> at the time, and, and in comes this uh, busload of uh, young, beautiful Thai women uh, and uh, sitting in the middle of the floor um, get, receiving a Dhamma teaching. And he said that Ajahn Chah seemed to give one of the longest teachings <laughs> that he ever gave to this particular group. And uh, so, uh, I mean, long story short, Ajahn um, Chah went to Samedo after the, the nurses left and um, asked, them, asked him, So, Samedo, how was that? And Samedo goes, I like, but I don't want. And Ajahn Chah was so uh, impressed by this. <laughs> he said it was the theme for his Dhamma talks for several days to come. You know, Samedo, he gets it. He likes, but he doesn't want. He likes, but he doesn't want. Yeah? This is, this is what he's getting at. This uh, second foundation of mindfulness. Being able to discern the, the difference between these. So with the uh, with the mind, and this is a this is a biggie. With the third foundation of mindfulness, we become aware of mental states, mental arisings, and uh, similarly, much of the time we're just completely identified with these. You know, this I am angry. Uh, you know, I am uh, lo- lost. I'm, I'm agitated. Yeah, I'm in an exalted state. Whatever it might be, that, that the identification with the mind is huge. You sort of can get it that you're not your body and feeling, you know, but when it comes to the mind, this is me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so usually the effect of that is that usually we're at the mercy of uh, whatever comes into the mind, the, the moods and, and the mind states, and you're barely uh, aware of them, let alone able to manage them in any way, you know. So uh, this is a compelling uh, part of this uh, teaching. Uh, And uh, if we're not doing that, then uh, a common experience is um, because if if we're identified with the state, and the state is an unpleasant one, or coarse, or unattractive, we don't like to think of ourselves as somebody who is that way, you know, that kind of thing, then the tendency of the unawakened mind is to turn it back on ourselves. And um, what I mean by that is it it, it tries to uh, handle or tries to manage the state that it's in, um, but it keeps turning to the the same states to try to manage it. So like you get these experiences of of hating that you're hateful, you know, or or wanting not to be greedy, you know, and, and, and it gets very contaminated, very convoluted. In, in, in very short order. And the mind can't see that it's getting deeper in. It can't see. It's not these, these approaches to dealing with mental arisings by turning to the same states. It's, uh, 
uh, it's just d delusion and only serves to uh, keep us in these very, <coughs> I, I call it surf the surface level of the mind. You know, it's just like it's playing with itself. I don't like this, I want to get free of this, and I bring in um, hatred to do that, you know. It, 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 it's, you never really settle down into a place where you can actually um, work with mental states uh, in, in a way that actually is effective. So I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot in this particular section, and we'll talk more about it uh, tomorrow, but um, I think one of the most important things to contemplate is that um, the language here changes. Uh, the, the Buddha talks about mental states as something, uh, as the mind being affected by them. The, the language in the sutta is that I know a mind affected by greed as a mind affected by greed, a mind unaffected by greed as a mind unaffected by greed. Now that's very interesting uh, to contemplate because it's pointing to something. Uh, uh, it's, it's sort of like acknowledging in a way directly that uh, this is not an intrinsic quality of mind. Something has come into mind. It also points to its impermanent nature. But you know, Ajahn Chah would call these, uh, call uh, mental states visitors. They, they come into the mind and um, if you, he would say like, if, you, if they come in on the front door, make sure you have the back door open. <laughs> you know, let them come right on through. <laughs> and they can go, come in the front and go out the back. And, and, and they, it's possible for that to happen. It's possible to relate to them in that way. That uh, in, the only thing that keeps uh, mental states, especially these difficult ones, uh, around is that we grab them, we identify with them, we become them. And so um, he, he's pointing to a, a way of, of relating to them that uh, allows this possibility. To, to know anger, to know greed, as something that came in. And I, I love to, I like to like ride the waves of them. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I experience them. It's sort of like uh, somebody says something or, or does something and it's that thing I don't like, you know? And I can feel this whoosh come in. It's like... And it reaches a peak and it passes away. <laughs> It, just, it, it comes in, it peaks, and it moves through, if I can know it in that way. You know, if I can just ride the wave of it uh, and not identify with it, which means, you know, not think there's really something wrong here. There's really some, uh, something that shouldn't be happening. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of, a lot of work in my own practice with this, because it, there was a point a number of years ago where I just began to see how much ill will there was, you know, and, and how, like, it, it peaked when there were a number of people in my life at one time that, uh, who did irritating things, you know. <laughs> and, and so it just, it was like my mind was always filled with this, you know. And I thought, well, I've got to get a handle on this. This is, this is nuts, you know. But uh, I, I began to, to see how that... Um, the, the layers that you work through with mindfulness of mind. You know, the first one, just being, knowing that the state is here. And um, knowing the tendency to um, buy into it. And just slowly being able to relinquish that grit. Um, it, was, it was really a fascinating practice for me because I, I, I really began to see through that process that the trigger, whatever they did or said, or my own thoughts or memories about them, whatever triggered it, that was um, one thing. <laughs> you know, and then uh, what I did with that was something else. And uh, that was the, it was, it, it may not sound like much, but it was huge for me to be able to really get it that the ill, that my suffering, 
the pain that I was feeling was here. <laughs> it was here. I wasn't out there. You know, it was happening right here. And, and, and it led to further insights, which basically saying that, um, realizing that uh, the things that they were all doing were not intrinsically annoying. <laughs> You know, up until that time, that you couldn't have convinced me of that. No, no, they're annoying people. <laughs> you know, that, it's them. It's not me. It's them. That you shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't behave that way. But they are. And where's my suffering? Is it in that? Is it here? And just being able to sort this out. Oh, this, was, this was huge. Uh, and, and uh, you know. Sometimes you can nail it, and um, it can it can uproot some really entrenched patterns. So anyway, with these first three foundations, you know, it's uh, it, it's possible to break through the identification with the body and mind. And this is this is uh, huge. So the the language of the sutta is um, know the body as the body, know feeling as feeling, know mind as mind. Or sometimes it's translated know the body in the body, which I think is interesting. It's like just knowing it, knowing it as physical, like you're not thinking about it. You're knowing it from the direct experience of the, of the body. And so we're, we're becoming aware, as I said, of these discrete um, aspects of uh, our experience. And this is the setup. I mean, the, the Buddha is a master manipulator. <laughs> this is the setup for insight. If, you can get, if we can get outside of identification and attachment to the body and the mind, um, and then uh, something uh, miraculous begins to happen, which is that um, we, we start to uh, contemplate them. We start to, uh, you, know, you look at it in a completely different way. It's like, how is this happening? What's happening? And, and the mind be, turns, it, like it takes a quarter turn. It's not tangled in the content of what's happening in our lives. And it, and it goes, it starts to look at it. You know, like it, it starts to get interested in it in a, a, a process-oriented way. <clears throat> but it can't do that until it stops glomming on. <coughs> You know, and, and, and when this change happens, or as this change happens, um, one begins to experience a, a, a lot more energy because the, the amount of energy that is tied up with identification um, and attachment and the fabrication of a sense of self around all of this and the self-absorption that that, that carries with it, the constant obsessing, uh, about oneself, you know, that starts to get freed up. I mean, that that energy um, is kind of a useless waste of energy, but you know, we don't know that. Uh, so it, it starts to get freed up, and now um, in this turning towards what is happening, now the mind just starts to get very interested and starts to sort out how you get caught up in the hindrances, how you get caught up in the aggregates, what's going on with the mind and mind objects, and what the factors of awakening do and help you with, and starts to see the cause and the end of suffering for itself. And that's all the, the stuff that's contained in the, in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So it's like, it's like he's setting the stage for that to happen, for that kind of um, seeing, that kind of looking to happen. And I think, I think it's just amazing uh, the way he's, he lays it out. <clears throat> but it's an interesting um, paradox, I think, um, that's sort of implicit in this uh, sutta. And, and that is that um, through this increasing impartiality towards the body and the mind. Yeah, it's not so personal. It's, one is looking at it and becoming uh, less and less personal, more objective, more impartial. You, you end up with 
a much more intimate and direct experience of the body and mind. Because what, what we're not attaching to is the uh, going on about it, obsessing about it. So once you let that go, then when we talk about direct experience, this is what we're saying. You, you, get, to, you get to what's going on with the body. <laughs> you get to feeling. You get to the mind. But it's very, I mean, I, I think it's, it can take years to unpack this enough to actually get to these direct experiences of the body and mind. And yet it's possible, and that's what he's directing us to. But it's just an interesting paradox. Let go of attachment to the body and mind, and you will, be, you will have a more direct experience of the body and mind. You know, it gets very, 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 very real and <coughs> very intimate. You know, and not, not a, the attachment cuts through this tendency to relate. You know, we live in a world that is relating to what's happening and isn't the actual direct experience of it. And so then the, the mind can <clears throat> begin to reflect on what's actually happening. It's very amazing. This is one of the things that I love so much about the Ajahn Chah lineage because he would make a very good use of this. And until I got associated with that lineage, I didn't hear the teachings in this way so much, but he would talk about reflection a lot in two ways, really. One has to do with reflection, like when you think about reflection as looking in a mirror and you see your reflection. And, and this comes from one of the suttas where the Buddha is talking to his son Rahula and he says, you know, what's, what's a mirror for? And um, Rahula says, for reflection, you know, for reflection. He says, yeah, right, right, that's correct. And <clears throat> what he's pointing to is a, a capacity of this human mind to um, reflect back to itself what's happening. Uh, and and uh, that uh, we want to engage that in the li- in the um, effort uh, of liberation. Uh, but as I was saying earlier, that that capacity is almost completely tied up, reflecting back to ourselves what we think about ourselves and what's going on with ourselves and what's happening. And you know, it's all it's just it's it's all completely used up in this self-absorbed loop, you know. But this is the mind's capacity. It can look at what's going on and it, it will uh, tell itself. It'll sort of send memos to itself about what's happening. Uh, and it's, a, it's an amazing capacity. It, it's, the, it's the kind of, it's that place where, you know, I hear a lot, like in uh, Dhamma discussions and interviews, where uh, when you start to feel this and people say, well, well, yeah, well yeah, but who's looking? Who's looking? can't tell you how many times I get, get that question. Who's looking? And it's, a, it's one to look at <laughs> and see for ourselves. But, you know, I think what, what the Buddha is pointing to here is that there isn't any who. It's this capacity of the mind to reflect to itself what's going on. It's, it's not outside the box. It's in the box. <laughs> the, the mind looks at itself, and this is, um, you might call it self-awareness, but it's this capacity that makes it possible for us to um, contemplate the Dhamma. You know, it's looking at experience and telling <coughs> itself what's happening. And the thing, that, the, the trick is to get that out of the self-absorbed loop, you know, <laughs> And, you know, get it on the Dhamma because it's a very useful thing so it, it can look at what's going on and know it according to Dhamma it can reflect back to itself like, oh I see oh is that, I know what that is that's one of those hindrances oh yeah that's what I'm doing and, and, it, and, it, and the mind will teach itself Doesn't, don't you find your mind talks to itself about what it's seeing and what's going on uh, and uh, the thing that was exciting to me last night in the opening circle 
was how many people were commenting about being having Dhamma buddies and talking to people <clears throat> about Dhamma. You know, that's this loop. <laughs> it's just doing it with between two people, but the mind does this between within itself. You know, and it's 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 a it's a very happy use of that capacity, and one that really has the. Um, I think it's one of those uh, things that we point to as why the human birth is so fortunate, because we have that capacity. It's like we're we're hardwired for freedom. The, the trick is just to know how to use it, uh, how to use the system to to free ourselves. So there's that level of reflecting, and and it, it's um, the reflecting that goes on within that as well. The talking to yourself about dhamma. That's, that's very, very helpful. Uh, as I said, one of the things I loved about the Ajahn Chah lineage is that they completely and utterly not only allow that, but encourage it. <laughs> you know? like, like, yeah, if you're seeing Dhamma, talk to yourself about it. That deepens it. That deepens the understanding. And don't be afraid that that kind of reflective thought is not outside the meditation. It's a, it's a, it's an integral part of it. It's not discursive thought. It's not obsessive thinking. It's useful um, chatter <laughs> of the mind about what's happening. So just to, I, I hope some of this is helpful, just to give a sense of, of what's being laid out here as uh, this particular teaching, um, the foundations of mindfulness and and how to use it well. Um, uh, I think what, what he's getting at here is um, because of this propensity for um, self-view, and you, you can, we can argue whether the grasping creates the self or the self creates the grasping. We can, I think it's both. You know, you can argue that now till the end of time. But there's a, there's a uh, relationship here. Once this idea of me as the one who's the CEO here and who's running the show gets uh, entrenched in the system, then um, the grasping, it perpetuates the grasping. So the, the seeing into non-self, which we'll get into uh, in June, <laughs> is, a, is a critical aspect of it. But I, I wanted to bring it in here because um, this to me is what the Satipatthana is getting at too. It, it's, it's trying to get us under that, uh, getting us to see that uh, fabrication uh, that way of relating to things that are so intimate and personal as this body and mind, and and, um, and see through it, see through it as a as a construct, uh, and yet also uh, it, it, what what I found very helpful with meditation is to recognize, like, in order to have the right attitude towards that delusion, to recognize that um, this mind is just trying to find happiness. It, it's just trying to get us to a state of, of happiness. You know, it's, it's going about it in all the wrong ways, but it, it's forgivable when you understand that that's all it's trying to do. Uh, and so it, it's kind of like being a good teacher, <laughs> being a good parent to ourselves, if you will. Try, okay, uh, hold it in a way that that um, is loving. I said, no, it's not quite like that, is it? You know, just to, to help uh, help the mind see it and help the mind see things in a different way. Uh, it's just really trying to get us to a happy state. It's just pitiful the way it's going about it. <laughs> All the grabbing and uh, identification and obsessing and self-absorption. So, you know, to me, the Satipatthana is just trying to get us to see that and relinquish those tendencies so that we can get to true happiness, true peace. Okay? So, I hope it's helpful. Let's just sit for a minute.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.